you have your phones and you are a member of Facebook, which every single American, I think, is, uh, go ahead and jump on there real fast and share our Facebook Live because we're live on the Internet. And there are people who can't come this morning who would want to hear the Word of God. And so share that. Yes, you have permission to go on your phones and share Facebook Live so that other people can... um, Watch this as well as we hear from the Lord. But we're in the middle of a series on heaven. And I love talking about heaven. I love going through what the Bible speaks about heaven and how it relates to us. How practically we don't just now see chubby babies from huggy commercials. But we could actually know what we're talking about when it comes to heaven. Where we're going to go. And so we've been framing this study around one real verse that is in uh, opposed to a fake verse or something like that. Um, But it's framed around a single verse that Jesus, he's speaking about what it means to be born again. And he's speaking to a man named Nicodemus, who was a leader of the Jews. And he says this in John 3.13. And this is our theme verse. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And Jesus here, he's making a claim that's really exclusive to just himself. He's saying, I am the first and only person to ever live on this planet after living in heaven. And so Jesus, he actually was had this profound um, perspective on life where time and space to him were framed by eternity. So everything that he saw, everything that he lived through, everything he experienced, it was all framed through this idea of what heaven is and what eternity looked like. And I pray that our passion as a community could be that we could engage in daily life in the same way that Jesus did, in the same perspective that Jesus had, that we could have purpose like Jesus, that we could have convictions like Jesus, that we could deal with situations like Jesus did so that we could have the impact that Jesus did because he said that you will have, you will do greater things than I will do. And that only happens if we understand where Jesus was coming from and how he had the perspective on life that he had. So I pray that we could live and strive to have this type of a heavenly perspective uh, to remind ourselves that heaven is forever, but this time on earth is just temporary. So we're going to pick up um, where we left off last week, actually, in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 10, go through verse 24, and uh, you can follow along as I read out loud. This is what it says. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending from heaven, from the heaven of God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. That idea of clear, see-through, is going to um, permeate through this entire passage. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and the names uh, written on them, which were the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates to the east, three to the north, three to the south, and three gates to the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height were equal. Then he measured the wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. Aaron, what does that mean? I have no clue, but let's just keep going on. 
Uh, it keeps going. The construction of the wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third is what it is. The fourth was emerald. The fifth was obviously right there. You can read it for yourself. As was the sixth and the seventh. The eighth was beryl. The ninth was topaz. And the tenth, I'm sure, was really pretty. As well as was the eleventh. All things that start with a J, I guess, are cool. And and the twelfth was amethyst. I don't know. (laughs) You could do better, then you can come up here. No, just kidding. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the city and the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun nor the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Now, if that doesn't get your like adrenaline going and you get a little bit excited about heaven, then you need to check your pulse. Uh, but I want to go to one other passage this morning that I think really um, complements this description that John has of heaven. It's in Matthew six nineteen through 20. Uh, this is where Jesus is doing the Beatitudes uh, Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. also. This morning I want to speak to you from the idea of transparent treasures. But let's start with prayer. Father, we take this time and we thank you for it, God. We thank you for your church, that you established it and you gave us your word. Lord, that you want to speak a word to every single one of us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, that we would have a perspective like you have a perspective, Lord. Like you showed us when you walked here on earth, that we could see our lives and this this short time, this finite time that we have on earth, that we could see it through an eternal perspective in the way that you saw things. So that when we go through things, they wouldn't bug us or they wouldn't um, isolate us in the way that they have in the past, Lord, but that we can live our lives in the way that you did, Lord, and, and reach this world in the way that you called us to, Jesus. So we believe and we expect for you to speak a word to every single one of us this morning. And we ask these things in your name. And everyone said... Amen. Well, Christmas is officially coming up. My kids, for the first time, asked how many days till Christmas. And I'm sure I'll be asked that every single day until after Christmas. And I will not miss it anymore after that. Um, But bringing up this idea of Christmas, um, let's be honest. Who here likes new things? Anyone besides me? Come on. Come on. We all all like new things. If you don't like new things, then you're a little weird. Um, But I like new things. I I like the smell of new things. Like, you know what I mean? Like smell, like the feel of new things. They're just crisp. I I do my shopping online. Don't judge me. I I shop online and, and I'll get a new like pair of clothes and I'm looking at them and I'm like just so happy I'm smelling them because they smell good. And I want to wear them at least like four times before I wash them. And then they're like, uh, yeah, my wife, 
thinks it's disgusting too. And they actually can stand up on their own at that point. That's when I know it's time. Okay, got to get rid of the newness feel. But it's like the smell of a new car. Everyone loves the smell of a new car. It's just unbelievable. And then you get these air fresheners that lie to you and try and tell you they smell like a new car, but they smell nothing like a new car. Um, maybe that's just my issue. But, but we love new things. We love exciting things. And it reminds me of Christmas. It reminds me of when you're a kid and you just want to obliterate all of your presence. And you're like the Tasmanian devil, like that cartoon, you know what I'm talking about? And he's like spinning around and everything just gets like destroyed. And you just want to rip up all of your, your presence so you can see what you got. And it's so exciting and it's all new and, and fresh. And then you're like, how many more do I have? And, and you're counting how many more you have. And I have an issue with that personally because my sister always got more presents than I did. So I just, maybe that was just me. I'd always have to count my presents and I'd be like, it's true. You guys know it. Dad, <laughs> Catherine, she, she always would get, yeah, she always had to get more than I did. But, um, but it isn't a, such a, a picture of the human condition that we always concentrate on getting new things or having more things. I really believe it's part of our DNA. It's how quickly we want something new and we tire of the things that we have. Like, have you ever heard or if uh, you're a male here and you're married, you hear somebody in your house, no one in particular, but they say something like, I have nothing to wear. And you look and you're like, there are three blouses that still have the tag on them. Are you serious? But this is such an amazing condition. It's something we're always looking for new stuff. It's like we're obsessed with shiny new things. And I really believe that this is somewhat what Jesus is talking about when he's talking and addressing these beatitudes. And I think Jesus, he's saying, quit stockpiling all this stuff on this planet. Like, this is not healthy. Don't let these things be your priority. I mean, have you ever seen the show Hoarders? Like, this is not healthy for you. Don't live like this. Don't think like this. And then Jesus uses this really strong metaphor about um, three things, moths, rust, and thieves. And he's talking from this perspective, remember, of heaven. And he says, listen, don't, don't let these things mean so much to you because... One, either thieves are going to come in and break things or steal them, or rust is going to make them fall apart, or a moth is going to come in, or something's going to come in and eat them, which I don't know, like zombies or something are going to come eat your stuff. I don't watch any Walking Dead, but I'm sure if you watch it, you'd be thinking about that. But, but Jesus is saying, listen, everything here on the earth, it's not going to last. One minute, you're going to be thrilled with it. And the next minute, it's going to be in the black hole that you call a closet. And you'll never see it again. I mean, there are even Christmas presents that you guys are buying right now. And by Valentine's Day, they'll be the greatest thing when they open them up. But by Valentine's Day, they'll be off to just pathetic candy that costs like a dollar. And, and it's just this idea that we are always wanting the next thing. Even as adults, we do this. And we hoard things and we have to keep them. Like, I have like a thing. I've got all these golf clubs. And I don't know why. Like, I can only use one at a time. Like, I can't use three putters, but some reason I have three putters. And so whenever I get a new golf club, I can't throw away my old golf club. And I'm like, yes, another golf club. I'm winning. I'm winning at life. I, I still have, anyone remember Pogs? Like, anyone here play? Yes, okay. There's a couple of people that remember Pogs. Like, I still have my Pogs. Like, no, I don't have anyone to play Pogs with. Like, what am I doing? Why do I have these things? 
Well, it doesn't make sense. I was at Disneyland a couple of months ago, and there's a store there, and they sell all of these pins, like, from all around the world. And there's all these people, like, most of them were, like, between 50 and, like, 65 years old, maybe. And they're all so excited about getting one more pin. And I'm thinking, like, what in the world are you going to do with one more pin? What are you going to do? And, and there's nothing, I have nothing against it. We're all in this together. I collect pogs still. So, I mean, we're all in the same boat, but uh, we're just humans doing what humans do. I mean, it starts when we're little kids and you go when you're a little kid and what do you say all the time? Mine, like mine, this is mine. And we're still dealing with that. We will still deal with that. And that's why Jesus is saying, listen, this should not be your priority. This should not be such a big deal for you. When you go to Black Friday and you like go crazy because that's your tickle me Elmo, that it's you're 50 years old. It's not okay. Like just get over it. But Jesus, he's saying that this has to change. We can't live like this. This is silly. And this isn't an anti-possessions sermon, uh, because that's not really what this is talking about at all. That's not Jesus's intent here. This idea of laying up is actually very spiritual. And this was a saying that the Jewish leaders, the, the rabbis would use. They would say, lay up your treasures in heaven. And it would be a reference to the Torah and actually doing good deeds. So they'd go to people and say, stop doing all of these things for yourself, but lay up your treasures or your good works in heaven. And so Jesus uses this and does sort of a play on a cultural saying of the day, but he also does a play on words because what he does here is something that you won't find, I think, anywhere else in his teaching is he will say the same thing twice, but the exact opposite. So first in Matthew six nineteen it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And then in Matthew six twenty he says, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says the exact opposite. And I think it tells us a little bit about how Jesus thinks that we should live. Um, He wants us to consider earth or heaven and eternity, but he wants our attitude towards our stuff to be the exact opposite of what the norm is. He wants us to look at our time and our possessions and the things that we on earth seem to or tend to call valuable and he wants us to think of those things in the exact opposite way of what a world that has no clue or concept of heaven would think of it jesus isn't really concerned about our possessions this isn't an anti-possessions tangent that jesus in his most famous sermon he just freaks out all of a sudden he's like you should all be broke like that's not what jesus is saying here and unfortunately people will think that that's what he's saying and they'll preach about that's what he's saying but that's absolutely not what he's saying and the reason i know that's not what he's saying is because scripture like i always say interprets scripture so in first timothy six seventeen, it says command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches but to but in the living god who gives us richly all things to enjoy so paul's not saying you christians are bad because you have things and you should all be poor Stop being rich. That's not what he's saying here. And and so we know that if scripture interprets scripture, that Jesus isn't talking about that possessions are bad or, or, but they can be a problem. 
And the issue really is, what do you think about your stuff? How do you process the stuff that you have in your life or the money that you have in your life? Like, if you're thinking up towards your things mirrors your thinking towards your wife, then you probably have a little bit of a problem. Um, if you go on a business trip and you just are thinking in your head or you're talking to somebody and you say, man, I just can't wait to get home because I miss her so much. And someone says, oh, you're talking about your wife? And you're like, no, I'm talking about my truck. Uh, that's where things are a little bit of a problem. And so Jesus is saying when it comes to your stuff, when it comes to your possessions, when it comes to the things that you value, you have to frame them with heaven. Like, do you frame your house with heaven? Is your house a place that promotes and facilitates eternal relationships? Where God's name can be glorified in people you know or people you don't know? Does your car have a frame of heaven around it? Or does your motorcycle have the frame of heaven around it? I know Carla, she has a motorcycle, and she loves her motorcycle, but it is framed with eternity. And so what in your life do you have, and how do you frame it? That you love, or not love, because we only love Jesus, and it's totally not spiritual to say that we love anything else. But what do you really, really like? And what is your perspective about it? And do you allow yourself to have a heavenly perspective about those treasures that we find here on earth. And so when we get to Revelation 21, this totally is profound because it rattles our cages and and totally changes our concept of what treasure even is. Um, It sort of reminds me of a, a joke that I heard in Revelation 21. It just Whatever you value here on earth, it will totally transform in Revelation 21 if you read it correctly. But there's a joke of a, uh, I heard an old Christian pastor talk about, and he was talking about this man who was really rich, and this isn't hermeneutically accurate, so don't write me an email saying that I don't know my Bible. I know, it's a joke. Um, But there's an old man, and he's really rich, and he has tons of money, and he's about to die, and he knows it. And so he's just praying to God, and he's like, God, I really have to take my money. Please, let me take my money to heaven with me. I know that I'm going to be going there. So can I just take, I'm going to make bricks of gold, and then just let me put them in the back of my truck that I love and I call she, and and we'll go to heaven, and then you can just let me have my gold in heaven. Is that okay? And so the next day, he passes away, and he gets to heaven, and he looks, and he's got his truck with his gold in the back, and he's so excited. I've got my gold. I've got my riches. So he gets to the pearly gates that we just talked about, and uh, Peter is there, and he looks at the man, and he looks in the back of his truck, and he sort of has a weird look on his face, and he goes to the rich man, and he says, Hey, it's great you brought your uh, gold with you, but can I ask you, why do you need pavement? Like, I don't know. But remember, we're going to live in this heavenly city that will someday invade earth. And the city, it says, is mostly covered with these precious treasures that we find here on earth. But the walls are made of jasper. So jasper is now taking the place of brick and mortar. It's taking the place of drywall. It says the roads are made of gold. Gold is taking the place is now asphalt. 
The gates are made of pearls. So, so now they're replacing iron with pearls. So these very, very precious things that we see here on earth are very, very common in heaven. And then God takes a man and he says, I want you to see all this and I want you to write it down and I want you to describe it. So why? Why, why are all these things, all these precious things in heaven? Well, I want you to notice that every single one of these things that is described as a treasure, what they do is they reflect light and the light of God is allowed to be shown through them. And not only do they reflect light and the light of God is shown through them, but every single one of these things, when light shows through them, they become more beautiful. So every single one of these, one of these treasures, when the light of God shines through them, they become more beautiful. That should tell us something. And you might say to me, well, gold doesn't um, reflect light. You can't see through gold. Well, in heaven, actually, you can God actually changes the, the consistency of gold so that light can be seen through it in heaven. In Revelation 21, 18, it says this twice. The construction of its walls were of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. Revelation 21, 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl and the streets of the city or pure gold like transparent glass. Why? Why does everything have to shine or be able to see through? And the answer is given to us two verses later where it explains in Revelation 21, 23, the city had no need for sun or moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. As if to reiterate that when it comes to our stuff, all that we have, all that we are, that God's eternal light must be able to shine through every single one of those things. No matter how precious that treasure is that you have here on earth, it must be able to shine the light and the glory of our God. This is of utmost importance and this is what God is trying to say to us. And so when Jesus says, lay up for yourself your treasure in heaven, your treasure in heaven, could it be that the only purpose of any treasure that you have here on earth is to do what it would have in heaven, which is if you put it up in heaven here on earth, that it will reflect the light of God. It will become more beautiful. So the things that you have here on earth must reflect who God is. This is how Jesus lived. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus was, it reflected the glory of his father. In John uh, 1.18, this is what it says. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is, who is himself God and the closest relationship with the father has made him known. So God, the father is seen through the son in John five nineteen, it says, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees his father do for whatever he does, the son does in like manner in 14, John 14, seven, it says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen me in verse 13 it says and i will do whatever you ask in my name so listen to this so that the father may be glorified in the son remember what revelation said it said the the glory of god illuminates heaven 
So Jesus is saying in the same way that we should, the father is glorified. That is the light of God is glorified in the son. In John 17, 1, it says, after this, Jesus, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. You see, if we're supposed to take our, our, heaven, our, our earthly treasures, those things that we value more than anything in life, and Jesus says, lay them up in heaven, the reason we need to do that is so that the glory of God can be seen through them. Because your things are not bad as long as you use them for God's glory. Interestingly enough, if you look at the plan for Satan, Lucifer, before he fell, if you look at his creation, his job was to reflect the light, the glory of God, just like we are. And this is talked about in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 16. This is talking about Ezekiel and I'll tell you, or talking about Satan, and I'll tell you why we know that in a minute. It says, You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Okay, so there's only three people in Eden, right? Well, Jesus, God was there too, so whatever. But we know Satan was there. So you were in Eden, the garden of God. Precious, every precious stone was your covering. Huh. That's interesting. The sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> Turquoise and emerald and gold. The workmanship of your trembles and your pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were an anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked uh, back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. And by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. See, the job of Lucifer, Satan, who fell, it was to reflect the light of God. That's why he had all these beautiful gems on him so that he could reflect the radiance of God's glory. Just like it talks about in heaven, he was created and was in heaven. And his whole entire job was to reflect the light of God to the world. But then it says, by the abundance of your trading. Now, that's a weird word. Like, what's wrong with trading? Well, what this actually means in the Hebrew, it means that, yes, there are things coming through him. The light of God was coming through him. But it's as if he saw the light coming through him and he said, I'm going to take a little. I'm going to take a little bit of that glory for myself. As if, if, if I was working for you and, and I was the, at the cash register and somebody was paying me $15 and I took one or two of those dollars. You see, what Satan did in this word reklua, what he did was he said, I want some of that treasure for myself. I don't want to give it all to God because I want some of the glory. And I think so many times we do the same thing with our stuff. We'll look at the things that we have and we're like, ah, I don't really need to use that for God. I can just use it for myself. This is fun. And, and so we look at the, the things that we have in our life, whether it be money or job or cars or, or houses or, or whatever it might be. And, and, we, and we have to ask the question, what are we in allowing to flow through those things? What is being reflected through our treasures here on earth? 
Because Jesus said they have to be like what is in heaven. They have to reflect the glory of our God. I think that Revelation 21 will preach an amazing sermon to us if we let it. Because what I see it saying is you think that these rocks are the treasure. You think those things are the treasure? Yeah, they're pretty. But there's something so much greater. And it's so great that it renders pearls like iron and gold like asphalt and jasper like bricks and mortar. And yes, there is a treasure and that is the treasure of the ages. And it is so precious that the most valuable thing that you could ever think of here on earth becomes absolutely common when it comes in the light of God. I mean, you look at Jesus and, and you, it's like as, even as if gold is saying, gosh, this isn't about my glory. I have to become transparent. And, and like, you can't even look at me. You have to see the light of God through me. It's not about my glory. My glory only exists to show his glory. And that's the same with you. And it's the same with me that our glory, anything that we have, it only exists to show the glory of God. And the moment that we start to try and take that back and do the trading that Lucifer did and say, I want some of that glory, then it's not even worth anything anymore. God wants you to have treasures, but he wants you to use them for him. I mean, Jesus, he he comes down to this tiny planet and everybody's grabbing and hoarding things. And this is mine and get away. This is awesome. I really want this. He's coming looking from heaven. Like he came from heaven. He's like, are you serious? Like, this is what you want? This is what you're going to fight over? Are you going to end a relationship over? Over this junk? This is a joke. I mean, it's sort of like my son. He, he loves rocks and not even pretty rocks. He just, he'll dig and he'll get all these rocks. He's got like a big pile of ugly, dirty rocks. And, and I look at him and he's like, these are awesome. And I'm like, they're ugly, dirty rocks. Like, I don't get it. And Jesus, he comes down from heaven, from eternity, framing his perspective of earth with heaven. And he's like, seriously? Like this? Oh boy. Don't, don't even try. Like you have no clue. Listen, I'm not saying that money's bad. Listen, we're going to need millions of dollars to reach this world for God. That's what it's going to take. And we're not going to be afraid of money because my money and the money that this church has, and I pray your money, it's going to be transparent. It's going to be see-through. We're going to allow the glory and the light of God show through the things that a lot of times we get nervous about. Oh my gosh, I got a treasure. I got a car. I got a nice house. I got money now, or, or, or I got this great job. Don't be afraid of those things. Just make sure that you're checking yourself and the light of God is showing through them. Use those things. They, they wouldn't be a means, but they would be, or they wouldn't be the end, but they would be the means. Money is a means. It's a means to show people who God is. I mean, someday we might have to buy another building. 
and that building will be expensive. But I can promise you one thing, that the building that we build will reflect the light of God. It will be transparent. Amen? Let your life, let your things, let your hands, let your works reflect the glory of God. Let your heart reflect the glory of God. So I promise you, when you do, the things that you have will come, become far more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Let's commit to change our perspective that our businesses would reflect God. That our purchases would reflect God. That our homes would reflect God. That our social media would reflect God. The words that come out of our mouth, they would reflect God. That our treasures here on earth would be laid up in heaven for the sole purpose of reflecting the glory of God to the world that we live in. Amen? Amen. Well, would you pray with me?